Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn in Wiltshire. It's a sultry day, overcast, perfect for putting the opposition in, I would say. Hello, it's Richard Heller in south-east London. It's a beautiful day down here at the moment, and the the butterflies are making a deafening racket, flapping their wings. Now, Richard, we have... Um, I've read this book, the author of which we're uh, about to interview. It's made me really angry and upset, actually. Perhaps you should introduce him and explain. First of all, we're very glad to welcome the author of the book you mentioned. Is the covers are off Civil War at Lords, and the author is Charlie Sale. Charlie has been a sports journalist for about 40 years. Uh, he was, for about 20 of those years, the sports diarist of the Daily Mail. He had quite a number of clashes as sports diarist of the Daily Mail with um, sports people, administrators, coaches, managers and fellow journalists, which shows that he was doing his job properly. He's done a remarkable job with um, The Covers Are Off, which tells the extraordinary story of the 20-year feud that marred the development of uh, Lords, which we'll come on to. But first, Charlie, I'm going to ask for your thoughts on the appointment of Claire Connor as um, interim uh, CEO of um, the England England Wales Cricket Board. It does make her the first woman in history to be in charge of a national cricket board. What do you think are her main challenges? Well, good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning, Peter. And I think Claire Connor to get this interim job at the ECB is an extraordinary conflict of interests. I mean, as you uh, had on your excellent podcast a couple of years ago, talking about her sort of delight at uh, being made MCC president, which she is at the moment. Now, what's soon coming up soon is the next allocation of of test matches and major international matches. And I mean, that's absolutely vital to the MCC because basically they're like, because as I'm sure we'll come on to this, they haven't taken the money on offer from developing the land around Lords. Um, they are dependent on having two, the whole budget depends on having two test matches a, uh, a year, which they have up to 2024, which is the decision was made in 2018. So later this year or early next year, because there's going to be the next allocation of test match grounds. And the fact that Claire Connor is MCC president and interim chief executive of the ECB is, is quite extraordinary. And I'm surprised there hasn't been more fuss about it. By the way, we ought to have Claire back because she was a terrific guest and she is a breath of fresh air in all kinds of ways. So we really yes. came over well, I thought, when we had the honour of interviewing her. Richard, maybe we should uh, invite her back to deal with that. Certainly should. Be delighted to have her back again. (laughs) We have an open invitation to the ECB to to come on the podcast, which mysteriously they haven't taken up uh, for some (laughs) some month. I mean, repeatedly. (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know what it is. It's, um, yeah. Um, Anyway, um, yes, she's got to make... Friends, very quickly, hasn't she, for the ECB? It's a very conflicted and troubled organisation, isn't it? Yes, yeah, but she's only there as an interim I mean, she's a very able administrator. I wouldn't be surprised if she ended up as a permanent choice. But to have that job while she's also MCC president is is quite ridiculous. She's she's on all sorts of committees. She's suddenly become the most important person in cricket administration in Britain, in England and Wales by miles, hasn't she? By miles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quite an important, uh, quite an important figure in international cricket administration as well. um, Her MCC role ends in October when um, Stephen Fry takes over. But this summer she'll be sort of hosting the president's box at, at MCC, as she admitted on the your podcast she can't wait you know she's really looking forward to hosting the president's box and all the invites she can make and all the networking she can do and uh, just when they're just just when mcc are sort of very keen on uh, making sure they get their two matches per, per summer test matches yes it's very awkward even if she even if uh, she will formally have to recuse herself from any um, decision about that on the ecb but even so it's going to create a, a great deal of suspicion if um if the mcc of lords do come out with two test matches again next year isn't it well yeah. Thank you. exactly yeah 
Charlie Lerner, let's now get on to your book, The Covers Are Off, which is a brilliantly narrated account of a very complex story, um, a very troubling story. Uh, it's a story largely even known, uh, largely unknown even to MCC members themselves. A lot of this story is, is literally underground. I wonder <laughs> if you could take us to um, where this story begins, which is, I think, in 1999. Well, really, it starts 100 years before that. Uh, mm. we, in 1891, the railway czar, Edward Watkin, wanted to basically go through Lords with his great central railway into, into Marylebone. MCC had just built their fantastic pavilion and they didn't want to move grounds yet again, having last moved because the Regent's Canal went through their second ground. So um, there was a big fuss about it. And also there's a fantastic cartoon, punch cartoon at the time, W.G. Grace on horseback, uh, leading the sort of uh, the members against the sort of steam engine approaching them. But um, they came to a compromise whereby Railtrack got their strip of land uh, down the Wellington Road. And in return, uh, MCC got the half the extra of the nursery ground because an orphan school was, uh, they bought that and they moved them to uh, the, the school out to Bushy. And so these, uh, the tunnels have been in place since 1892 when they, they were built. So then you get to the auction uh, in 1999. Prior to that, earlier that year, Railtrack, who thought the MCC were obviously the only people interested. They were selling off a lot of their, um, well, all of their sort of estate, approached the MCC about um, by the lease of the tunnels. But MCC played hardball. They thought they were the only people interested and bid a, a low case. Railtrack had to get a certain number to satisfy their shareholders. Eventually it went to auction. And they, at that auction, Charles Rifkin outbid the MCC, which is probably the biggest uh, mistake in the history of the club. The sums of money involved were ridiculously small as well. Can you remind us of that? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, Charles Rifkin bought it for £2.35 uh, million. Pounds. At the time, the MCC, they had debts of about £50 million. They just built the awful media centre, which had been a £4 million over budget. And they had a committee meeting and they decided that that was the maximum price that they would go to which was 2.3 million. In fact, the agent uh, put in their 25,000. So they bid 2.325 and they're outbid by uh, Charles Rifkin at 2.3. And um, and since, that's, since then, we've had 20 odd years of um, upset and turmoil and battles over what to do with uh, that land because Charles Rifkin was a, a very astute property developer. Yeah, very well-known property developer, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, around the, the area. He realised he also bought the developer rights for the tunnels. and um, But obviously, the MCC, he's the head lease, uh, he's the chief leaseholder. But the MCC have got a rock-solid tenancy until 2137. So for any development to take place, it needs both of them to agree. But right. um, Rifkin, since then, has come up with plan after plan. And MCC keep turning them down. The same old thing goes on and on. And, you know, there's been a sort of various people who got involved in it, but there's been no answer. There doesn't look like any answer for years to come, unfortunately. It, it hasn't really been answered. I'm fascinated. One incidental character rather fascinates me in your narrative, um, and that's Mr. Knott, the, um, the, uh, the Cassandra of the MCC, um, it seems to me, who is the only person with all the expertise that the MCC commands in, you know, in property and, and finance. He's, he's, he's Mr. Knott is a dentist, isn't he? And he's the, the, the one chap in the, he's, I think he's an ordinary member, isn't he? And he's, he's the one chap who seems to spot that it's going to be absolutely, that it was absolutely fatal to let an outsider acquire an interest in, in land and uh, the lords, isn't it? Yes, I wouldn't say Nigel Hot Knotts or so here. He's a consultant dentist and he's right. sort of fascinated in MCC governance. And he's, as, he, as you say, he saw the dangers of a third party getting involved. And he told, the, he wrote to the MCC, uh, he wrote to Tony Lewis, who was the chairman of the uh, president at the time. And he just told him, just basically told him to refer to somebody else. The trouble with the MCC then, and to a great extent now, is that it was sort of, can't part mentalize. So, if the chief executive or secretary 
uh, Roger Knight at the time, had nothing to do with the estates. That was just all to do with Maurice de Rowan. So mm. any sort of talk about the, uh, it was all disjointed. Nobody knew what was going on or talked to each other. Just uh, Knight left everything, as did Charles Fry, uh, who was the chairman. They left mm. everything to Maurice de Rowan. Who is Maurice de Rowan? It's a new one on me. That Maurice de Rowan was an Australian who's unfortunately died soon after. In fact, he died in 2006. But he was, he was totally in charge of anything to do with the estates. And um, they just misjudged it badly. They didn't see the, the potential of, they just saw it as a, um, what they could get from the, the yield from being the chief leaseholder, which were, you know, they didn't see the, 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 the development, but they should have done because um, before the auction took place, Charles Rifkin's cousin, a bloke called Johnny Sandelson, another property developer, um, he actually came and <laughs> to make it even more complicated, he was married at the time to Mary, one of the daughters of Lord Alexander, who was a, a great MCC well, grand. Very great man, yeah. Yes. And um, Sandelson saw the development opportunities along the uh, Wellington Road. And through Mary, he got a, a meeting with Roger Knight and said, look, you should develop this, put a hotel uh, on, on top and, um, and some housing. And make most of it, but he was basically dismissed. They, they had a, a meeting. Roger and I allowed him to present, and Morris Rowan actually walked out of the meeting. Mm. And yeah, that that was six months before this auction took place. So when they came to this auction, and the rail track had given them six months sort of uh, negotiating on themselves, um, they knew that there was development interest along that um, strip of land, but uh, they still only sort of bid 2.3 million and again there was shenanigans because they thought Lord Alexander had tipped off Johnny Sanderson as to how much the MCC uh, were prepared to bid and then and Johnny Sanderson had told Charles Rifkin but, I mean this is sort of uh, and Morris Durow that was the reason for six years of sort of uh, Charles Rifkin being blanked by MCC because Morris Durow was convinced that um, Lord Alexander, who's one of the most respected sort of guys mm. in the country, had sort of tipped off the opposition. He would, yeah. I mean, he was a really respectable and distinguished yeah. QC. Yeah. And then he went on to land, was it Lloyd's Bank, one of the big banks? Yes. Um, yes. He, he um, you know, this is very reminiscent, really. You leave a ball which you think is going outside, going past off stump, and it comes back in and takes it takes you middle, middle and leg, doesn't it? And that's what happened to the MCC committee. Um, well, that's the whole nub of the story because um, it's, they, they were sort of humiliated about it, felt embarrassed. And as, as a result, they'd had nothing to do with Charles Rifkin for the first six years. It wasn't until Maurice de Rowan died in 2006 and Roger Knight left the MCC that, and Keith Bradshaw became um, the chief, uh, chief executive, that Charles Rifkin was even allowed to have a chat with anybody. The late Keith Bradshaw is a good, who has a high reputation, is thought of, well, he's, he died, didn't he, very sadly recently, yes, just, at quite a young age. Yeah. But he seems yeah. to have been the first one to have gripped this issue. Well, yes, I mean, well, he was the first one to actually allow Charles Rifkin to explain his plans and say, and they were sort of visionary, it was a sort of 400 million vision for Lords at both ends of the ground, um, because I will come to that, I'm sure, but um, Rifkin and MCC both own properties uh, on the pavilion end. And it would have made, if the plans had come off, it would have made Lords the best cricket ground in the world. Mm. Um, but obviously there's two sides to it and MCC is a members club and uh, the members don't want, didn't want residential, but I mean, this is something we should come back to actually at some point. Mm. Is you know here you have uh, the it always has been a bit like the House of Lords in relation to the House of Commons, full of hereditary peers who decent chaps they may be and um, distinguished. You know they may have a couple of grouse moors or something, but you know <laughs> it, 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 whether or not they're appropriate still to govern the country. That's that's a that's an argument, isn't it? Yes. And the MCC which elects itself, you get. You know, I'm, one of my great tragedies of my life is that my grandfather offered to put me down at birth 
Yes. My mum said, well, you know, we, 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 how do we know he'll be interested in cricket? And so it never <laughs> happened, and I'm not a member. But yeah. um, it's... Um, and nowadays, you could actually buy your way in for th- tens of thousands of yeah. pounds. And it, 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 I don't know whether status or money... The fact is, it, it, are, are these... Uh, is this appropriate that this tiny group of self-elected people nobody knows anything about are making momentous decisions which affect... The most, you know, the, the, you know, the cathedral of cricket across not just Britain but the world. Well, that's the that's the difficulty because MCC is is a private members' club, and so guardians of the game, and uh, owners of lords. So um, it's making all those three three things work. Uh, it's proved very difficult, and that and their relationship with the EC, tricky relationship with the ECB. It's all sort of um, a can of worms. And also, but as far as the sort of people who run Lords, um, they, they say they're sort of, they've reformed and uh, they've got a, a, a more a sort of uh, a committee now that's better to run the, the, the game in 2022. But it's still the same old people getting the same old jobs and the same old people keeping the kept sort of Charles Rifkin's plans, you know, uh, outside the gates. I did become a member of the MCC. I uh, wasn't put down at birth. I was actually born in New York and I wasn't much opportunity to do that. But I did eventually become a member of the MCC. I was told later it had happened after a cold winter when <laughs> a lot of old members had uh, fallen off the perch and they wanted to get up the membership list, which wasn't a very um, wasn't very complimentary to me and all the others who got in that year. But leave that as it be. But I just want to say that just thinking of the member, you know, the way the membership were brought in. The membership, I can't recall being told anything about the projected um, redevelopment of Lords until really quite late in in your narrative. I certainly don't remember hearing about Mr. Rifkin or any plans from him in the early two thousands. Um, it's it seems I don't remember anything of this. I'd, all I can remember is suddenly being consulted over a plan when. Um, the MCC committee at the time had already framed the choice uh, in a way that was, make, you know, always going to make it likely that their choice would be voted for, that the members would vote for it. I mean, this is a, one of the big scandals of the whole story, is the way the MCC conduct their business with sort of postal votes and recommendations, which mm. makes it their, their recommendation always goes through because probably 16,000 of the 18,000 MCC membership aren't really interested in the politics and just tick what the MCC suggest or recommend. They were told eventually this, uh, the whole thing boiled down. Well, we are jumping mm. uh, a few years, but it did boil down to a, a binary choice between the MCC's master plan, which is what they're doing, which is a piecemeal development of stand by mm. stand with their money, uh, with their own money, or... Charles Rifkin's uh, Morley plan, uh, which was be funded by some residential at the um, nursery end, but it would have given the MCC 150 million pounds to sort of build new stands uh, themselves. And but Charles Rifkin said, so you know, at least give us a level playing field. But it didn't happen. One of the things they they said, please don't recommend anything before the actual vote. In 2017, the MCC went ahead and uh, recommended their own plan, funnily enough. And as a result, they got over 90 percent in favour. I mean, probably, probably they would have. Well, certainly, probably they would have carried the vote anyway. But why did they just allow Charles and his supporters to put their whole case and give the members a proper proper information? That's that's the problem. It's a problem with all MCC business. They only, they say now they're far more transparent, but they're not. They just tell the members what they want to hear, what they want them to hear, basically. Well, it was, sort of, it was, it was as you say in your book, it, it was always scandalous to me that the um, that the MCC committee, you know, recommended their successors yes, with, yes. with stars. Although I always <laughs> found. I always found it very helpful because, um, as a you know, as a sort of Bollinger Bolshevik, I'd um, I voted you know for anybody who didn't have a star um, in, the, in, in the committee elections. It was always helpful to know who the establishment figures were. But uh, that's by the side. What you mentioned the Morley plan, Charlie. Uh, seeing the Morley plan for the first time in your book, 
was really rather breathtaking. Uh, I certainly can't remember seeing it when it, you know, when it was devised. Uh, and, it, you know, it wasn't, wasn't uh, that I recall, offered to me as, as, as a member to react to at all by the, by the MCC. Well, they weren't allowed, the, the, uh, Rifkin and David Morley, his architect, weren't allowed to even present their plans as a whole road shows before the, mm-hmm. before the vote. The MCC presented both plans, a guy called Robert Ebden, um, I mean, it's extraordinary, really, isn't it? They weren't allowed to send out their brochure until the same time as the um, as the MCC one. It went out two months later after the MCC already recommended their own plan. I mean, there's no need for this sort of one-sided um, approach to this whole thing. This right. is where my blood started. I started <laughs> to feel very upset. I mean, this is there are millions of plans. How you know there's millions of so many kids around this country who you could devote money to coaching them, to training yeah. them up, to developing yes. cricket in, in in areas which really need it. And, and here you have the MCC committee. How much money do you reckon they wasted developing implausible plans to block? Have you calculated how much? Uh, at least wasted? Uh, over twenty million. Twenty. Look, I think this is a real. Uh, that is an utter scandal. These, mm. I sit, I, I go and sit in the Compton and Edric scandal. I look at that glorious pavilion and these mm. uh, 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 test matches. Everything is full apart from the MCC, where these people in their funny ties are sitting there mm. in their red faces, and <laughs> and the, and what they've actually done is spend twenty million pounds messing around on blocking some scheme. Mm. And some petty feud and vendetta they could have spent developing cricket in England for poor kids who don't get a, ch- a chance. Now, I, I just like that outrageous, and they need to explain it, don't they? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's, that, that, uh, you've basically summed up the, the, the whole book in, uh, in what you just said. That's why your book is so important, by the way. Uh, the, the, they should have al- allowed... I mean, Charles Rifkin's main beef is that it's the MCC, they, it's their club, they got the lease, but just work with me. and Let's come up to something that we both like and what the members might like and especially in this day and age where all the problems of the coronavirus whatever they, to just turn down the sort of sums that we're talking about are extraordinary and also it's not as if these sort of how residential would sort of affect you wouldn't be able to see them from the from the ground uh, they were just at the nursery end a, a, long, a long way from the action but it, it, it's the whole sort of secrecy and the fact that they don't explain i mean the members pay in over five hundred pounds uh, subs a year. Surely they can at least be honest with them, properly honest. I mean, but it's the fact that the, the whole sort of ethos of the club is that you know we have the, the committee decide and the committee do this resolutions. I mean, even the AGM, this. I mean, even when you the way they sort of set it up and the way their machinery works, even sort of any um, opposition is sort of brushed aside pretty quickly. There's never any debate. If somebody complains about something, they let them have their say, and then they move on to another subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was Claire Connor, uh, who presided over the last AGM uh, earlier this month. Uh, and she's now the interim ECB managing director. So on one hand, you have Claire Connor, president of this establishment club, um, charged with sort of bringing a whole new transparency to cricket and diversity to cricket. It doesn't really... I don't think the MCC presidency... Well, which uh, she's very obviously pleased and honoured to to have accepted, sits sits uh, comfortably um, with uh, with that job. She has to, uh, in defence of Glad Connor, she's only turned up at the MCC very late in the day. She can't be blamed for any of this shambles. And no, 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 none at all. But no, yeah. no, no. I'm mean, just going back to the fact she shouldn't yeah. have accepted the this interim um, um, job. Tell us about these huge sums. Tell us how. It's, I mean, again, this is the next bit I just got trying to get my head around. That vast sums of money were wasted by the MCC committee um, on purchase of houses belonging to the Cuban ambassador and so on. Can you walk us through that? Well, the whole the, the housing thing, actually, I mean, it's, it's losing the houses is more of a scandal than actually buying them. I mean, in 19, there are 14 houses that sit on the perimeter of the of Lords in Grove End Road and Elm Tree Road. And in 1929, MCC had bought all four, owned all 14. But then Gubby Allen, who was sort of, sort of the Grand Master of Lords, his word was law for 30 odd years, rather than put up the subscriptions, which I think were 20 pound at the time, <laughs> sold another house. Yeah. And 
So eventually, MCC lost their this this fantastic sort of uh, portfolio, and Charles Rifkin saw the potential. Obviously, it's not just at the uh, nursery end there's development possibilities, but also at the pavilion end and opening that whole area as well. Um, he bought. In 2006, he bought uh, three houses along Grove End Road. The first one he bought in four hours. We're making <laughs> the offer for the completion. I mean, he's a pretty formidable operator. It's formidable, and, yeah. And so then you've got the situation. So uh, this was Charles's plan was to work with the MCC. So he realised that they owned houses. And if they both owned some property along that stretch, then um, a joint development was obviously on the cars, which was the plan for the vision for Lords. But then because of the fighting number six lionel frumkin who's a, who's um a tour guide at lords a former wine merchant knew about all this so he knew the strategic value of his house which uh, the mcc bought for 8.5 million pounds valued in their accounts at four million well this is a sort of waste of money and even now just uh, recently uh, Ingleby McKenzie's, uh, uh, Colin Ingleby McKenzie, a former MCC president, his, his widow died and the house went up. Again, Charles uh, Rifkin offered let's both buy it and um, as part of the sort of grand plan. No, the MCC bought it themselves. In fact, they spent the money for those life memberships, sort of accelerated memberships to fund the shortfall in the Compton entry. So they had a, a £15 million surplus. Uh, eight million of which, when you get to refurbishing, they spent on buying that house. So the very substantial sum of money paid by the Home Secretary to obtain, to jump the queue and become yeah. uh, a member of the MCC, that just goes on some sort of fancy property scheme. Again, no, like what really comes across yes. is nothing to do with, de with developing the game in the country at large. It's just a sort of... Yes. Yeah, well, that's what is so upsetting. Yeah. Well, you see, the plan, when you go back to the Morley plan, the, the plan was to, because that prison wall, you go down from the uh, St Johnswood tube station down Wellington Road, I mean, that that is the people's first view of the home of cricket. I mean, the Morley plan would have opened up that whole vista so you could see the main ground. You could um, sort of um, a, a residential in keeping with the, the other mansion blocks in St John's Wood and a more and a proper nursery pavilion for the ground uh, would have been that would have sort of that's the thought that would encourage young you know youngsters and a more community approach rather than this prison wall which just basically says you know just keep out this is just for our elite membership. It is actually it's very hard to see from anywhere outside Lords that it's a cricket ground, isn't it? Yes, even, yes. even today, from any point in it. Um, Charlie, I just want to um, one point I noticed from your narrative is that there is almost no woman involved in it in any significant role, in any active role. I think I think I noticed one intervention in the uh, in the MCC from Rachel Hayhoe of Flint. Oh right, well yes, yeah. And and but everybody, all the other actors uh, in the, as far as the MCC are concerned, are are men, and the mm. whole uh, atmosphere that you convey is of you know a private feud, almost between, almost sort of private feud that schoolboys you know sometimes mm. engage in. I, I agree, Richard. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of. Uh, and you record a lot of um, pretty ripe schoolboy language um, in your in your narrative as well. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's it was a boys' club. You know, women weren't in uh, even elected into 1999. MC, to be fair to MCC, they've now got, as you say, a, a woman president, and they're uh, installing the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Gate. Mm. But that again is is a major story that's been kept from the membership. Uh, they spent three hundred thousand pounds commissioning. Uh, a new uh, gate in honour of Rachel Hayhoe, the North Gate, which is the main mm. main entrance for for people into Lords. Uh, I think sixty seven percent actually MCC said that themselves coming through the North Gate, the nearest one from the tube. And unfortunately for the MCC, one of the stanchions of this gate sits on Charles Riskin's uh, leasehold land. Oh. So they had to ask his permission for the gate to be placed there, the new gate. Uh, and they, they wrote to him and they basically just said, oh, I hope you don't mind. We're building this new gate on your leasehold land. There's a sort of throwaway paragraph. 
Charles Rifkin did mind, mm. uh, as did uh, Rail Track, because uh, they still have the, um, the freehold because of, there's still a live train um, train tunnel underneath the Wellington Road. And so he said, yeah, we do mind. Yeah, and also this new gate, which is sort of grandiose Buckingham Palace style structure, uh, we would probably be, have listed status like the Great Skates and would affect any de later development. So Charles Rifkin and, and the rail track uh, opposed it. And as a result, having spent £300,000 on this, this has all been kept away from the members. They're now building the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Gate on the East Gate, on the same um, St John's Wood Road. The East Gate is, they say that, they say that, um, 150,000 spectators go through this escape, which is utter rubbish. I mean, no, a few, can't be a few right. media go through it. There's no turnstile. It's no. just, a, and it's just a small, small entrance. And they've said, "Oh, this is sort of, sort of you know." As if the, again, this sums up the MCC. This is all being kept away from the members. There's massive great gate because they they hadn't handled uh, Charles Rifkin, who's who's basically their their uh, landlord at that end properly. Um, they've had to change track and now build the Rach Hayo Flint you know, this small um, uh, unimpressive entrance to the ground. What comes over there is that they're still fighting with Mr Rifkind. Um, oh yeah. 20, 20 years on it, what, what yeah. Rifkind it's almost a defining issue still for the MCC. If, if Rifkind wants something he can't have it and if we want something, we will have it despite Mr. Rifkin. Is that still that's still the attitude? Is that right? One one hundred percent. Yeah, this has carried on. I mean, uh, there's been a new uh, Charles Rifkin always hopes that if there's a new chief executive or a new chairman, they'll be be hopefully sort of allow him to at least chat over their plans and present something to the members. But Bruce Carnegie Brown, who succeeded Gerald Corbett, has basically blanked Rifkin as Gerald Corbett did, as uh, Oliver Stocker did before him, as mm. Charles Fry did before him. I mean, and, and Guy Lavender won't have anything to do with Charles Rifkin uh, because he says the vote in 2017 was, which was hardly a, a level playing field vote, was 9% in favour of the MCC's plan. So we're at stalemate. And Charles you, Rifkin won't, won't go. Charlie, you, you present um, Mr. Mr. Rifkin as basically being very reasonable, happy to do a deal. Yeah. Um, and uh, wanting to talk. Yeah. Uh, one very formidable figure, and we discussed him only last week in our fascinating discussion on the collapse of Haringey. John Major, whose mm -hmm. love of cricket is undeniable. He's a South mm -hmm. London working class lad. And he played, which we learned last week, so interesting, a, a, a founding role in creating Haringey Cricket Academy, which gave the real opportunity to young black kids coming through to play, enter the first class game. And he ha tell us about John Major's role in this. Uh, in this, because he, I think his reputation is rising at the moment. I think he's a force for good, a force for decency. Where did he stand in this issue? Well, pretty central. He was on, he was on the member of the MCC. Obviously, he's more of a Surrey guy than a Lords guy, but he was on the MCC committee and also on this development committee. A handpicked. Uh, this was in the the height of this whole battle when. The plan was uh, for a vision for Lords for four hundred million pound development at, at both ends of the ground, and John Major, along with people like Lord Grabiner, were part of this development committee, who were going to choose the development partner. But opposed to develop basically to the development committee was Oliver Stocken and Justin Dowley, who were uh, chairman and treasurer of the MCC committee. This is classic MCC politics. They thought. Uh, the MCC committee were the, the, the voice. And they didn't want the development committee telling them what to do. Although the development committee was full of people like John, Sir John Major and similar sort of brains from every, every walk of life. Um, but basically John Major was outmaneuvered by Stocken and Dowley and resigned. But he, he, I don't think he did himself any favours in the way he did it. Basically he supported the vision for the Lords and uh, Charles Rifkin's plans, but Stock and Dowley first of all abolished the development committee, and then they got rid of their chosen uh, development partner Al McCanter in the space of a, a turbulent year in 2011. After the, the way Stock and sort of set up committee meetings, uh, I think the 20 around the table, he knew where John Major also always sat on the right. So basically, for the 
the, his last committee meeting when they were discussing the future of whether they should sack Al Macanta, he started the discussion round the, the other side of the table, already knowing the first 17 were in favour of his supporters. So the time they got to John Major, the 17 voices are already um, opposed, keeping out, you know, wanted to get rid of Al Macanta when, and so Major lost, uh, lost the vote and uh, said, well, I'm going to leave the committee. But he said he wouldn't go public about it, but he did. And, um, and then he complained again when the MCC's sort of version of this, that John Major had resigned because basically he put cash before the cricket ground. In fact, Major made the point that he resigned because of the process, basically because of the way Stockton and Dowley conducted their business rather than about the decision. And he's never been back since. Mm. Well, he's never played a part in sort of MCC politics or business since then. And basically, so concentrated on the Oval and, as you say, other other things. He would have been a formidable um, opponent to, uh, and supporter if, if he'd wanted to do so, but he didn't really want to get involved after that. And funnily mm. enough, I mean, I say in the book, Stockton and Dowley didn't treat him, they thought he was just another member of the committee, and Justin Dowley didn't think he was particularly had a great grasp of economics, although he'd been <laughs> a Chancellor of Exchequer. He actually made the point, he thought that some of the ex-cricketers on the committee had a better grasp of financial matters than John Major, which was probably uh, a bit harsh. Charlie, when, uh, when I read your book, I was struck by the number of things that aren't in your book, as much, almost as much as the, um, the things that are in your book. Um, one <laughs> feature that isn't in your book, in your narrative, is any interest from the MCC in um, the committee at the time in the wider interests of the cricket public. It's all they can do to consult the membership until their own plans are cut and dried. But uh, Lords is supposed to be the, the headquarters of, um, you know, it's an iconic cricket ground. It's a central site, not just for English cricket, but for world cricket. And there seems to be no interest at all in what the outside world wants from a cricket ground, which is, you know... Um, an iconic headquarters. Well, I mean, uh, I think the MCC Foundation does quite a lot of good work around the. Well, I think MCC. I think that's possibly unfair. It, it does now, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't seem to do, be doing so. No, in, probably yeah. by the book, the, mm. the, the the tunnels issue is so complicated. Oh. But uh, I wanted to stay very much on that mm. track rather yeah. than uh, go off on wider issues. Uh, I think that's probably. I think they do quite a lot. Although, to be fair, the other side, I mean, Lord Grabener, uh, who's one of the vociferous supporters of, um, of the development, uh, said in a famous Channel 4 uh, interview that, uh, in which he called for Stockton and Dowley to be sacked, mm-hmm. um, uh, he said that if they'd opened up the ground, that would be sort of, as, as we mentioned before, with sort of take, take down the prison wall, they'd open up and sort of encourage youngsters of all, of all kinds to 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 be interested in cricket. The MCC, the MCC Foundation does do a great deal now of outreach mm-hmm. work in, in the local community, in which I've mm-hmm. seen uh, a lot of examples myself. Well, Sarah Fain, who we came on to this, this podcast, was extremely impressive, I thought, Richard, oh. when she talked yes, about she, that. And I'm aware of yes. some of the projects they're backing. It's indeed, indeed, indeed we are. Um, but though, I did notice uh, in your narrative a lot of concern about they didn't seem to be terribly interested in a dialogue with Westminster Council. They would have the, you know, have to give approval to any eventual plans. Um, they showed, uh, to be fair, when Boris Johnson was uh, mayor of London, they, they did um, show the plans to to Boris, but it didn't, didn't get that far to wait. I mean, ah. didn't get to. I mean, you have to have an agreement. You had to get the two sides to mm. to agree before you get even apply for planning permission. So Westminster Council. Um, were sort of detached from that. Uh, I mean, they were around. I mean, they were aware that Westminster Council, you know, affordable housing and whatever, and uh, they were aware that was down the road. But um, I mean, they didn't get past the infighting over Charles, really. Indeed, they never got. They certainly not. They never got as far as indeed. They never got as far Mm. as a Mm. planning application. Did did read in your book? There seems to be a lot of concern about the so-called. Section 106 requirement. Uh, they they do seem to have thought about that in advance quite a bit. Section 106 is the um, 
provision in the Town and Country Planning Act, I think of 1990, that says there's to be some benefit to the local community from mm. um, property development, uh, usually in the form of affordable housing. Oh, exclusively. Yes. Yep. Well, I think MCC thought that developing sort of extra cricket facilities from from the, the development would be there, so sort of answer to that. And I think uh, Charles Riffin had plans for uh, affordable housing slightly away from Lords yeah. um, to get past that. But again, you know, didn't get that far. No. Another thing that really strikes me in um, your narrative, Charlie, is this. By 2000, there was a lot of experience around the world in how to build or redevelop sports stadiums mm. and how not to, and particularly how to sort of reconcile commercial and sporting needs in sports stadiums. But it really doesn't seem that from your book that the MCC drew on this experience at all. Is, is that a fair comment? Um, uh, sorry to disagree. No, I mean when hmm. they were uh, when they were sort of brief time, they're in partnership. They're building up this vision for Lords. David Bats went around the world looking at stadiums, and certainly in America and and in Australia. I think they're aware. I mean, obviously you got whether you got government money. I mean Keith Bradshaw after leaving Lords, went to Adelaide and helped the completion of the uh, Adelaide Oval. But again, it's so interesting whether you have sort of where you are, the government money, whatever. I mean, I know in Augusta, they put up uh, buildings pretty quickly without, with no scrutiny. And same with the All England Club. They put a couple of roofs on, on tennis courts, with not, not the scrutiny that comes from 18,000 MCC members. Mm. Uh, that's the sort of difference. Uh, every step is done scrutinised, whilst other private members' clubs, I mean, I mean, Augusta and All England Club at Simlin, they both hosts sort of uh, iconic worldwide events, uh, managed to conduct most of their business without, without the scrutiny that, that, that and the sort of um, that the MCC are put under by their membership. Uh, that's now, but Augusta and um, the All England Club have a much smaller membership, don't they? Well, exactly, yes. Yeah. I think there's 500. Mm. So even though most of the MCC membership of eighteen thousand is is quite passive, is, is passive and, and and not concerned, it's still big enough to, uh, as you say, to ensure that what MCC does gets attention and scrutiny. That well, yes, I say. I mean, there's yeah, there's two thousand. Mm. I mean, of that sixteen thousand aren't bothered; just want to turn up, uh, take whatever the MCC recommend, and turn up for a couple of days test matches. Right. Um, but the other 2,000 are pretty, sort of like your, your Nigel Knotts in this world, uh, oh. examine everything that moves. And there's, they got their um, independent... I mean, in fact, Keith Bradshaw set up an MCC forum. Mm. Um, but then uh, a guy called John Fingleton talked about... Uh, I knew him, like yes. The great mm. unwashed coming into the oh, yes. pavilion. Mm. In. So that was closed down. But, um, but you've now got this... Um, the members' independence online pavilion, which is very active and about uh, all everything to do with the MCC. So every every move is scrutinised, but only by a fraction of the membership. Mm. Do you think there's a sort of critical <laughs> a critical mass of, of of membership that's ideal for development? And once you go beyond that, you're in <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, well, well, I mean, just, just have a vote. Let's go. I mean, things have mm. changed since. Since the members well voted in favour of the MCC's piecemeal approach, uh, which in 2017 you had the the pandemic, as mm. a result of which the Continental stand they needed to, to find money quickly to um, to keep it on track. Hence the life membership again going down that track to life. I can't keep doing that. So, I mean, again the Continental talking about that Continental stand. That again, wherever you look, it's there's a rift in there's the elephant in the room. I mean, even with that stand, the way they say the nursery end throughout this saga, they said the nursery end is sacrosanct. You know, we want to play first class cricket in it. So what they've done with the competition stand as a purely tactical move, which they admit to doing, is they made the footprint a larger footprint onto the onto the nursery end, which means if they do want to play cricket on that ground, they have to move the boundary rope right to the prison walls have the huh. necessary room, uh, meaning that, that you couldn't have a residential block there. Um, but again, there's there's no sign of them. I don't think they'll ever play first-class cricket on that square again. But this is a myth, isn't it? Because they've only played one day of first-class cricket on the nursery ground. Oh, yeah. The whole of say, well, they could play 
when I say first class cricket, they can mm. play other games. Yeah, they do play. They play. You know, they play really top class. They play practice games, matches yes. and, and sort of top, and top class club games. You know, yes. particularly from the cross arrows. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Great. They can't even do that now. No. Mm. Two questions have struck me uh, talking to you. Well, so many, but first of all. If you go back uh, fifty years to the selection of the non-selection of Basil Dolivera yes. moment, where again the MCC committee completely disgraced itself yes. and showed itself. I mean, really, it shouldn't have been allowed anywhere near cricket or any. But um, and Gubby Allen, I hadn't learned, learned about this new crime he committed. <laughs> suddenly, off all those houses, but his major crime was his involvement in the Dolivera of, of business. There was then a revolt led by, I think. Charles Barr, uh, Brearley, who was then an up-and-coming cricketer with a real chance of a future, really sacrificially, I think, uh, led the revolt, as did, of course, the Reverend David Shepherd. And, yes. and, and they uh, they held the MCC to account. And, yeah. and listening to all of this, why don't the 18,000 members uh, rise up uh, against this clearly deeply incompetent group of people who have done such damage to the game of cricket, not just um, at Lords, but across Britain? Okay, well, as I say, most of them are uninterested in, uh, in the politics. And uh, the ones that are interested are trying all the time with SGMs about this. I mean, there's, they've got enough votes now for an SGM over uh, taking the Eton Harrow and the Oxford Cambridge matches. Mm. Um, so the, there are. I mean, so they're more. They're more interested. The membership in keeping the Eton and Harrow match, and the fact that twenty thousand quid, which could have been spent helping young, underprivileged kids learn the cricket. I, I see. We like, we're getting the message there about the MCC, very loud and clear. The second question: Is there a? Um, is there an issue? I mean, is there a possibility? There must be that all these ske- wonderful schemes which have been come up with, and if. Mr. Rifkin is as reasonable a bloke as you say. There must be a solution now. We can just go back and, and sort it all out, can't we? Well, I think it'll take another regime change. I, don't think, I can't see it happening in the next six years because they're hell-bent, the, the people who run Lords at the moment, are hell-bent on, on stopping him. He, I mean, Charles Rifkin comes up with schemes all the time. Uh, every time that they have a meeting over, the, over that gate or over the house, he puts forward, like, let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about developments. But they say, oh, there isn't a, um, the members aren't interested. Look at the vote in 2017. So in time, I think eventually there will be a settlement and they'll take, I think, another, a different chief executive, uh, a, a different chairman, a difference of voices on the MCC committee. Because at the we moment... Have, we have a new president in the shape of, uh, of Stephen Fry coming up. Uh, yes. He's being put on to bowl at the pavilion end as from yes. this October. Yes. Is there anything which Stephen Fry, um, supposing he's in, he's not in it, you know, if he's seriously interested in cricket and cares about the future of Lords and his president, of, that he could do to sort of bring this sort of nonsense to a halt? Uh, no, I'm sure, but unfortunately, the president is only uh, in office for a year. It's not long enough to get to grips with these issues. Um, so most of it's ceremonial. Um, and I, I think you look at this issue, it's far too complicated and too sort of oppositions, uh, two sides are too entrenched to, to, to alter the status quo. And also he's replacing Claire Connor, who re- replaced Kumar Sangakara. I mean, they're all influenced by the views of the chairman, the chief executive. Who, who are, is the chairman? Who is the chairman? Bruce Carnegie Brown. Is it? And who's he when he, who is he? He's a financier. Um, in fact, he was the way things work. He, repla- he he's replaced Gerald Corbett at Lords as he did as chairman of the Money Supermarket dot com. You know, same old people doing the same old jobs. MCC are very proud of the fact they've now got a, a nominations committee that select people uh, to rather than so MCC committee decide. Yet their first nomination one. The, the Slaces Committee, they had three nominations. One of the, their nominations was uh, Michael McClintock, who's a, um, uh, a big figure in the insurance world. Yet Lord Grabbin said of them, uh, was quoted to say, Michael M- M- McClintock was an absolute prat, a <laughs> finance bloke with an insurance company and supportive of the stock and team. You could never get a straight answer out of him. Also, he was determined to make sure that nobody outside MCC 
made any money out of it. You never knew where he was coming from. Now, I mean, I'm sure Michael McClintock's a very capable guy, but obviously it's a divisive appointment. And that's the first, that was the first uh, appointment for this new nominations committee who are trying to sort of be more diverse and bring back on board somebody who had, that was that divisive and supportive of one team. So what's changed? Nothing. Yeah, that's on look back on the just take a sort of overview of the whole story. We've got a 20 year feud between uh, dominant factions on the MCC committee and Mr. Rifkind, which is personal. The 20 year feud results in a great deal of MCC members money being misspent and wasted. Uh, it also uh, results in a huge opportunity cost of um of a succession of plans produced by Mr. Rifkind and his partners, which is just simply, uh, which are just simply discarded before they even get put to members, before they even really get put to members. Yeah. Um, so that you know, direct waste and a big opportunity cost. Um, we've got uh, the MCC. The outcome, as you said, is the MCC pursuing its own master plan, which is basically piecemeal development, not comprehensive development. And it's um, uh, it's a plan being uh, master plan being financed by a, essentially a short term expedient, isn't it? Um, selling life memberships you can't do that yeah. forever and ever. It's not Correct. it's not something that's being financed by you know self generating revenue from anything that they're doing. So we've got some improvements, it seems to me, in the way that the MCC governs itself, um, <clears throat> uh, and some improvements in its general attitude, as we said. It's very much more outward looking. Uh, it does a great deal more work in the in its local community through the MCC Foundation. Communication is better with members than it used to be. Um, committee elections are a little bit fairer. But uh, really coming to the point, are we going to see the same waste and opportunity cost continuing without absolutely fundamental reforms in the MCC's governance? Good question. Uh, yeah. well, they, well, they, 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 yes, this is a good question. They would say that they they made these fundamental reforms, but at first first sort of sight and at uh, first experience of them, uh, nothing's changed, and we'll continue along the, the points you've just made. They say they're doing the changes, but uh, uh, I think it's window dressing. Hmm. I'd have to say it is a tragic story. We're talking about the sporting equivalent of Westminster Abbey, a sort of national symbol of mm -hmm. cricket and everything it stands for and all of its values. Mm -hmm. And it's and a, a group has been in control of it now for a very long time who've lost all sight of what cricket stands for and what it's about. Charlie, it's been fascinating, sometimes depressing, but uh, absolutely fascinating to... Um, talk to you and have you take us through this um, extraordinary saga. Thank you very much indeed, Charlie. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank and the Thank sun, you. while we've been talking, the sun has come out here in Wiltshire. Uh, sun's very much out here in uh, south-east London. The butterflies are flapping their wings like machine gun fire outside. Um, <laughs> Charlie, thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much. Much enjoyed.